to the Archive Guys. I'm your host, Matt Patterson, and I'm here with my co-hosts... Kelsey Milburn. And... D.W. Ferranti. And we have our special guest today... Brett Berg. And we're going to be talking about home video today. As By the way, Brett is a home video specialist. You would not call yourself <laughs> a home entertainment specialist. Is that correct? <laughs> if there is a distinction to be made, I suppose you've made it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Dan, what do you, what do you feel about home entertainment versus home video? What do I feel? Yeah, I'm just like, because that's... I, I feel even though uh, it might appear to be arcane, home video is actually a better descriptor than home entertainment. Because home entertainment is really any Joe Schmo at an entertainment company trying to sell something from a digital download to an old disc. Whereas Brett's doing some serious ephemeral curation. Brett is the creative director, which is a fancy title, Brett, of the Museum of Home Video. How would you describe the Museum of Home Video, Brett? Um, well, it is a found footage variety show for stoners, seekers, archivists, and drinkers. And the joke I have is, if you're watching my show, you're at least one of those four, <laughs> if not two. Um, That's your profiling? Is that how you sell the advertising? Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, over 20 years of... Um, attending and producing and hosting found footage. The, LA has always been really good about the intersection between art, archivism, and comedy. There's been an interesting collision of that in LA over the last 20 years. And everything from DIY efforts like Everything is Terrible to slightly more mainstream versions of it, you know, the Tim and Eric aesthetic. There's been a lot of different takes on that. And I think the difference between my show and all the precedents before it is it's found footage you can feel. I'm bringing what I think is an interesting personal documentary touch to it. Not only using found footage as my video therapy through the pandemic and like as something for me to do to keep my brain active that then other people can get some entertainment out of. But also like, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of narrative stories you can tell with footage. You know, some of my favorite documentaries are things like Feed or The Atomic Cafe by Kevin Rafferty. Um, and I'm also a big fan of sleazy stuff like Nick Broomfield, where they he inserts himself into the narrative of the movie. So I just, uh, I, I take a documentary approach and a really kind of like bratty Michael O'Donohue type approach to it. So. <laughs> you should be a movie mm -hmm. called uh, somebody put together called Logo. And oh, it was, that was, <laughs> you're like, yes, that was it. And it was like an hour and a half of logos. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had ever seen somebody put that together. Uh, and so I feel like the Museum of Home Video has opened that up with a very modern wraparound which is uh you know at first you were on twitch but now you're not yes Dan. yeah yes i'm going to ask uh for a more basic dummies guide oh. to the museum because okay <clears throat> i don't think 
the casual viewer maybe understands the different components that are at work here and I'll let Brett describe it, but there's a Patreon page, which he should direct people to, etc. Okay, so um, this originally started as a live show, and I was committed to doing it every Saturday afternoon at a venue here in LA, and it was going to start June 2020. And when that didn't work out, I it took a few months, but we eventually turned to Twitch because it was free to use. And they seem pretty loose with their, at that time, they seem pretty loose with their terms of service. So we could get away with what I call pirate television, because that's what it is to me. Um, the live streamed version of Museum of Home Video is a weekly found footage variety show where I VJ a bunch of material that either I've found, collected, or edited together somehow myself into a specific stylistic montage. Um, kind of like if, um, if you remember the soup on E, like sometimes they would cut, you know, they'd cut together all the times that all the people on all the various cable news channels said blank. And it isn't it funny to watch them all kind of say the same, like when Arnold Schwarzenegger was running for governor, like 80 different versions of the Terminator, the Terminator, the, the governor, the governor, you know, like that silly idea. I don't know. That's the whole show. But I do it in a way that takes people on an emotional journey through kind of haunted cable TV video store uh, broadcast TV memories. And I speed up the pace for today because a lot of old TV is a lot of cough, dry, slow. So I just basically show everybody the good parts, the fun parts of like a really wackadoo uh, late night talk show interview. Like one of my favorite pieces for the Museum of Home Video is um, Jennifer Tilly on Arsenio Hall, 1989. I think it's one of the crown jewels in bizarre late night television, what the fuck am I looking at performances? Because I can't tell if like the infamous um, Crispin Glover Letterman thing, is this performance? Is this real? Andy Kaufman, like I have no idea where the line is. And so Jennifer Tilly spends two full breaks, like eight minutes, go to commercial, come back another eight minutes of unadulterated word salad from a place of super tense anxiety and like also she, she may be impaired she may not be it's like a it's a fascinating moment in television uh, so i watched uh the show when you originally uh showed that and mm -hmm. one of the great things about museum of home video and using a streaming format at, you know at the time that was on twitch was that you can you know like twitter but or you know, like Twitch, right? You're following along the audience reaction in the side and how people are reacting to the footage. And while, yeah. you know, that is more, you know, people are more familiar with that being used on a typical Twitch show, which is like, hey, I'm playing a video game and doing a talk show at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. This, the, the video on the screen is uh, Arsenio Hall being very confused and trying to roll with the punches. I, I We will put uh, links to these segments uh, in the show notes if you want to see these, or you can go to uh, museumofhomevideo.com, right? That's the, yeah. the dot Every com. Two, absolutely. So we were on Twitch for two years, and then we were booted recently for repeated copyright violations. So we had to 
quickly find a way to broadcast on our own URL. So now every program on our channel is at museumofhomevideo.com. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the Patreon later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Which, by the way, I am a member. I just thought I'd toot my own horn Thank for, you. That, for that two bucks <laughs> that I send you. Uh, but it's $2 well spent. So I am a lifelong fan of independent radio. I have my WFMU shirt on to show my New Jersey heritage. And KXLU is like the kind of FMU of LA, which you were on. And, and Brett, I always love that you took that sort of hosting aesthetic and, and you know, kind of what you learned from that. And then you're, now I would just say that this is like the closest thing Right, Museum of Home Video is the closest thing to uh, a, a freeform college radio show, but on streaming. I guess that's, it, it's, I keep talking about it because it is hard to explain until you it's see It's very it. hard to explain. I wish it wasn't as hard to explain as it is. I like to say it's college radio for your eyes. Oh, I like that. I'm going to steal that and pretend it's mine. Kelsey, did you get <laughs> a chance to check out their... Yeah. Um, I, I looked at everything. I watched the clips, the Christmas video, and then I watched, my favorite was Billy Crystal, um, just because <laughs> Billy Crystal is just the guy from uh, Harry Met Sally. That's who he is from Kozlov's class. Um, yep. So it's it's nice to see him somewhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what was I going to say? I had a question about found footage specifically. Yep. So I know like these guys here that work for the Warner Brothers archive, I believe that's the correct archive. Um, and that's where they get all of all of their footage, right? Or that's where they, they bring up a lot of shows. I was wondering sure. where do you typically go to get found footage? Is it a weird YouTube dive where you're like <laughs> at two in the morning, these videos are coming up? Yes, um, and. <laughs> Yeah, yes, and uh, there is no one source. It is a constant, like like the ocean, it is in constant flux and things appear and disappear from different sources and you have to really hunt. It's like a classic record hunting scenario where you're going through bin after bin, just trying to find the right things that click. So YouTube is obviously a source. I would say a third of the show comes from YouTube. Um, other sources are me personally ripping DVDs and Blu-rays to get the content off them. Uh, torrent sites, a number of them, some private, some public. The public ones are the Pirate Bay. Um, there's one called rargb.to. <laughs> it's, it's fucking primo. I get a lot of stuff from there. Um, there's another torrent site called whitets.mx, which okay. also you get stuff on. Um, some of the private trackers are My Spleen, TV Vault, Cara Garga. They all have terrible names. They're all names picked by weird libertarian programmers and hackers in the 90s. Um, uh, Soulseek is another public one where it's not a torrent site. It's actually just like Napster. It's a peer-to-peer -peer software, um, which you can run for free on your own desktop and you can connect to anybody else who has the perfect record collection of your dreams. It's, we're living in quite an era <laughs> where all these different sources, there's also movie download bootleg sites like rarelust.com and rarefilm.com with two M's, F-I-L-M-M. It's film. Yeah, it, um, all kinds of places. <laughs> like this kind of stuff, you know, when we first got into it was pretty much like traded by hand or mail order on 
VHS, right? And mm -hmm. then, mm -hmm. but because VHS was the easiest medium to exchange, and it would be like, hey, check this out. I've got this tape. And now it's like times 20,000, you know, online. Brett, you've talked before, and, and I have these from the mid 2000s, like hard drives full of, you know, obscure video format files mm -hmm. of, of just crazy, yeah. crazy stuff that, by the way, now when I find these hard drives and I open them up, it's like, you know, 20% chance it just doesn't open anymore. Like, like, right. Those are that those are the tricky old file formats. Your 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 workday MP4s and MKVs seem to be pretty sturdy. Those a couple those, AVIs are like, fuck you, I'm out of here. But that's, other than that, <laughs> that specifically AVIs are like sometimes you're just like, what the yeah. But it says like uh play as is or fix broken something, and you're like, either please just play the movie. Um, it's it's an evolving science the archivism of the armchair archivism of our recorded history as a species right um, and the the migration from format to format and drives it's a constant headache i myself just had a one of my master drives fail and now i, I just ordered an 800 hundred dollar replacement so that i can put the backup drive on that and then you, you know so things right. we have to deal with because even like archive.org only has a fraction of this kind of stuff like there's no totally. that's know, another source of content by the way archive. right it, there, but there's, there's like no paley center for ephemera no it's just my what's on my desk <laughs> um i i have i have about 50 terabytes in the collection i have a total of 64 terabytes storage total at my disposal yeah. those three drives are backed up onto another three drives i have nothing in the cloud the cloud is useless to me that's that is that is fair um and what one like simple example uh that we kind of passed around was i will call it your uh angela lansbury documentary because it's like you strung together yeah. all these tv chat show interviews from like a 15 year period um mm -hmm of Angela Lansbury talking about her career and it totals out to 40 minutes. But the way it plays, I'm like, yeah, this is like a, a just as good as any special on Angela Lansbury. Cause it's kind of like in her, she's looking back on her early days and murder she wrote uh, kind of from a contemporary perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it gave me a lot of information and you could almost tell like uh, and the way that it was cut together she has like this you guys put together this emotional journey for her where mm -hmm. she starts confronting her past demons and stuff but with barbara walters right like there yes and then yeah. robert osborne in the background and yeah. that's that's what i like uh i wanted to show some clips which were short and uh i don't think and I think that can play both on audio and video because most people just listen to this. But the mm -hmm. first one I wanted to show, because um, by the time this comes up, we'll be coming up on half Christmas. And I thought, what better way to celebrate June 25th than with some uh, Christmas specials? <laughs> and the first one is called uh, 200 Christmases in Two Minutes. 
Oh uh, yes, this was, this was an early piece of mine. Um, I cut this probably 2009 or 2010, and it predates Museum of Home Video, but it's absolutely a, a touchstone for my own style and and all the idiocy that I show in my show each week. And this sure. is kind of like faster. Did you call this one like faster piece theater? Is that no? That's a I came up with that later. Faster piece theater is my term for when I take a movie and I cut it down to like 15 minutes. Basically, I am removing all the boring parts. Because if I showed this in full, you'd go, eh, that was an okay show. Maybe I won't come back and see another episode. But I'm just trying to get to the essence of each thing. And um, my editing style is like, I'm watching it for the first time in a timeline. And then right. the second I get bored, I hit, I make an edit. And then when it <laughs> stops getting boring, I make another edit and I remove the boring part and I just put all the cool shit together. And, and I've seen you do that live where you show like little previews and then the audience would vote on what you would see kind of the whole mm -hmm. cut down yeah. version of which is vicious by the way the voting would be vicious because uh, <laughs> everybody has to sit and watch what everybody else kind of decides so you want to influence the vote anyway yeah. this one is called 200 christmases in two minutes Christmas, 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 you said this was a an early one, Brett, but I did want to say that like um as once you get used to the gimmick, you actually mm -hmm. see that there is advertently or inadvertently there mm -hmm. is a transform a transformative effect happening with this video where it's just Christmas, 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 and suddenly it becomes something else. Now, did you discover this in process or did you go in having an idea that would pull out and sort of change its shape? 
Um, a lot of my pieces originate from an idea, which I don't know if it'll work until I actually get it on the timeline and start cutting it up. In this instance, uh, I want to say, yeah, 2009 or 10 or so, um, my boyfriend was going back in the Netflix DVD mail-in era. Uh, he was going through all the seasons. He was binging 90210, the original Beverly Hills 90210. And I was completely uninterested in watching it with him. That was probably a failing of mine. I maybe should have been more interested as a better boyfriend, but uh, we're still together all this time later, by the way. I'm just like sowing the seeds of our uh, domestic discontent. Yeah. Uh, so I, he was watching all of 90210 and my response to it was to, in, in bed, was to read a book so that the book would completely cover my field of vision so I wouldn't have to watch 90210. Um, and this lasted for him watching a couple seasons worth of episodes. Yeah. Until, <laughs> until he got to season three's Christmas episode. Yes. Which was a special longer than normal. So it's like an hour and a half instead of an hour. Mm -hmm. And he's just, he's watching the episode at normal speed with no strange edits. And I'm with a book in front of my face and I can only hear around the edges of the book every 30 seconds. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And it happened enough times within the opening few minutes of the episode that I put the book down and I watched the whole episode because I was so flabbergasted at the idea of the, of the lazy screenwriting of just repeating the same word a bunch of times over the course of one episode. Um, it was sort of like he was, the, the writer was trying to imitate Tarantino or something, like a particular narrative rhythmic gag in the, in the writing. Because there's no possible way that a sane person would inject the word Christmas into an episode of a TV show 200 times. So what I did was I threw the episode on the timeline. I ripped the DVD um, and I threw it on the timeline. And I was like, I'm only, I'm gonna delete every frame except where someone is saying Christmas. And it turned out to be two minutes long and it turned out to be either exactly or give or take one or two, 200 times. And I was just compelled to finish this edit because it was such a strange idea. And uh, I don't it, remember what I did it for other than I just wanted to see <laughs> what it would do to the human body when you mad scientist style reduce the thing down to this essence. Boiled it like a, like a Christmas ham or jelly. Or like a like like a Macbethian like witch's brew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then you put it in a sausage. It totally. But as Dan was saying, I I went through the same thing, and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I really because I, I I actually saw that when it came out, and mm -hmm. uh, I just needed those two minutes to follow the whole arc of the show because yeah. of the way they said and presented Christmas. The word <laughs> it really is. Mm -hmm how much weight they gave to the word and each yeah. time they said it and it's it's just a formulaic cheap jack bullshit show on tv so yeah. Yeah, there's nothing really to follow no but <laughs> but the sad christmases were right you know around at the third act and then there's a christmas battle with christmas christmas and then there's christmas christmas the end i mean it, it, it was beautiful and you saved us uh at hour 28 <laughs> and I believe the, the the writer of that episode was the guy who later went on to produce Sex in the City, Darren Stein. Oh, 
Well, good. I, I did they do a Christmas episode of Sex in the City? Yeah. I thought the whole show was like a Christmas show <laughs> or something. I have now, I, that's my memory of it. Now, Kelsey, I wanted to ask you because you're a one step removed from familiarity with this as broadcast. Not that you're unfamiliar with it, but mm-hmm. you know it is gonna press a slightly different button. You know, yeah. when I see like you know the twenty thousand dollar pyramid. I remember watching this show, whereas you're like, oh, look, there's Billy Crystal. So I'm just kind of wondering, as as the one step removed, what your impression of some of these clips were like. Well, it's interesting because for Christmases, you know, I, I noticed Luke Perry immediately because I've seen Riverdale. Yeah. And right. so I know Luke Perry and I'm like, what has he been in? And I didn't even know what show this was, but my guess was 90210 because that's what Luke Perry has started. Um, what was what I thought was great about it is it, it does have that quality of so many. There are so many videos like this where you, you cut it up and it's the pivotal moments but this was Christmas and and it really did give you the sense that they just they say this word every second of that movie and they will hit you over the head with the fact that this is a Christmas special no doubt about it it was just crazy to watch it and to see like um so little movement between each enunciation of the word I I couldn't understand for me I didn't get what this show was about uh, it just looked For like they Christmas. said Christmas 200 times. And yeah. that was it. And that's the show. And I assume that was your takeaway when you saw it in person as well. Yeah. To me, it's about the flimsiness of Christmas product, ultimately. That's that's mm-hmm. the political reading. The silly reading is kind of like a like a like a poetry-esque dada yeah it's dada crazy avant-garde thing right with the audio well you know like steve reich or there's i guess a a certain influence on that piece of particular is this amazing experimental short called my name is una with i believe steve reich is is the audio um anyways uh there's lots of different ways to read my stuff and i like that because um i don't necessarily make it for any reason other than i think it's fucking hilarious right <laughs> so I, I i you know it's for but, other people to figure out what it's for other people to figure out what this stuff is about. <laughs> but that you know but this uh the format that you found for museum of home video seems to be like a a very good and modern way right like in mm-hmm. sort of a home video format way like the, it's kind of found a home that is different than you know, putting it on a collection with a disc or even necessarily oh, sure. going into oh, sure. a theater, like, which also works, but this is home entertainment, right? Like that's, that's kind of what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And we, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I just keep talking. Oh, we are putting on a show every week and I, I haven't said it yet. And I should have said it at the top. Um, I have a dedicated crew who helps me make the show a reality every week. And it is, it's like the Muppet show, you know, it's like, we're putting on a show. Yay. But uh, I think it's a very tight, interesting, like uh, group. Group. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think of words to describe what we're doing in ways that people would understand. Um, It is a, it's, it's, they're like, these things are like bands. And I think that I stumbled onto a really fantastic group of bandmates who are able to do, they all have specific talents which lend themselves to doing 
a collective thing which has a certain flavor like a band so right. right off the bat there's jenny nixon who is our show producer and does all of our social media and a lot of our design and all the merch program and the patreon program and she is the engine that makes a lot of the actual yeah. gears run for the show and she contributes a lot to the voices of my show to our music video show called music video drone we have a brand new show called playtime which is a, a fascinating take on kids stuff um it's it's someone who's a longtime viewer who um we pitched the idea to her would you if you did something on our channel what would you do and she was like when i was growing up my parents always pushed me to achieve. So I did a lot of sports and music and things that took me away from watching kids media. Mm. She's seeing it all for the first time and getting into it in her own particular way for the first time. So we just showed uh, on her first episode, we showed um, uh, Hardy Boys meet Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a perfect opening kind of thing to open, you know, to introduce your show with. So Jenny Nixon is is an integral part of, of the entire channel and all the shows. There's our technical director, the international voice of reason, who is a longtime friend of mine from College Radio, who also hosts the music video show, Music Video Drum, every other Friday. Um, and then there's all the other show hosts. And, um, and you bring in lots of guests, uh, you know, who bring footage with them, either that they yeah. made or influence them. So there's always uh, something different. And what I like, too, is that there are a lot of show regulars who show up in the chat. So mm -hmm. it's 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 it kind of has that like, uh, as you said, the Muppet show, which which I like. Yeah. And, and I like that uh, I, I follow you guys on social media. So the show's kind of almost kind of continue in a way. Now, if someone wants to watch a new show, when yeah. should they tune in? Uh, my show, which is every Tuesday, is 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And the show goes for around two and a half hours on average. I would say that's the length of average length of most of our episodes. Well, one thing that I get from like a general takeaway what I own what I love about it is that you're well versed in doing these edits right you've been doing it for years and years and you've also watched this content for in its original form someone like me I, I don't get to see the original form it's it's not going to be back on the air so what's great is when you cut it down it, it feels like it's the most important part so it at least gives me uh, a sense of the heart of the episode I feel like that you you do a really good job of taking a bigger product and still maintaining um, its character, what what makes it so unique and great, and you give people that segment. So that's Thank why. You. I like yeah, it. I mean, yeah, uh, people don't have time to watch all the things I want to show them, so I might as well do it like this. Uh, and I think that the the editing style and pacing is very specific because. I want people while they're watching the live show to feel like even if they got up and took a bathroom break that they would be missing something. So I've engineered it to kind of force you to pay attention to. <laughs> uh, it's a big social experiment. Yes, I, 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 I won't deny that Mad Scientist is an apt description for a lot of the things we're doing because there is a psychedelic aspect to this as well as the political, as well as the comedy, as well as the community part of it. Um, this show is kind of, it's kind of like a drug without drugs. 
in that if you watch a like a two to three hour session, I'm taking you in places and it's a little dizzying. And unexpected. So speaking of you know, being taken places, perhaps yeah, we should yeah. run that other clip. Well, I was just going to say, and this next clip that we're going to watch, as Kelsey said. Also Christmas. Yeah, because I'm staying with the Christmas. <laughs> oh, um, sure. You show a lot of ephemera and a, there's a whole realm of regional ephemera like that you know your show introduced me to like i i grew up on the east coast i never watched uh southern california tv growing up so you guys out here have like commercials and hosts and things that i just never knew and by presenting it in the way that you do i learn about them in general and i get to see these great clip compilations and you have this one uh clip compilation called uh franny craddock cook's christmas i have never heard of franny craddock who who mm -hmm. is this cook franny craddock is was a very hmm, how to describe this she was kind of like the simon cowell of cooking mm -hmm. while at the same time being a very strange meth addicted wild broadcasting personality kind of like if simon cowell meets mommy dearest mm. on on meth Ex exactly my pitch <laughs> where what was she on like like what market was this on this is national British television. Okay, so. Like she was a national figure for probably two decades. And then if you go to her her very entertaining Wikipedia, she apparently had an instant fall from grace in the later 80s maybe by being a judge on some cooking show and completely eviscerating the, the contestant to the point where it's like the, the nation has shunned her for how bad she treated this lady. So. Um, you forget that British like competition shows are much older than ours. And so totally. uh, they think, so. So, so Fanny Craddock cooks Christmas. The <laughs> some of the only surviving tape of Fanny Craddock of her long career on television. Cause the, with old programs, the BBC would just wipe tapes. A lot of the old Doctor Who's are gone for the same reason. So same with a lot of the old Tonight Shows. I know as an archivist, it makes you shit twice, not once, but twice. And, uh, so Fanny Craddock's surviving tapes are these, these short 15 minute episodes of her cooking traditional British Christmas classics. And she's so whacked out that she doesn't realize how many Freudian slips she's making over the course of just like 70 minutes of footage boiled down to the two minutes that you're about to see. Here we go. <laughs> is just about slave labor for the women. There's an easy way and a difficult way of handling it. I can put my hand underneath, lubricate it, and you simply bend the handle upwards. This curious pinching movement erupts over all those little holes and starts running down in rivulets. It's rich and dark and yummy. And I want to share with you how French women cope with this thing. The thing that men infuriate me over most. Big fat ones and cream buns who scoop all the surplus goo from the middle. There shouldn't be any goo. If you're not deaf, you get enough in there to make the ball shape. And you pop it over 
And you push it in? Slosh it. Take it home, shove it in a spud, you beat it. And I have scrubbed and scrubbed downstairs. It's a pretty naughty one. Squeeze it. Now, these fluids, I'm tipping it as far as I dare, those nasty little things which men hate, should be wet in the middle. Because you don't want it to get like leather. Squeezing. Now, you bang that down. No, no, no. Bang that. Sorry for that noise. Bang that down with your knuckles to snatch it out. That's my girl. Twist the end of your bag so it doesn't come running up again into your hand. Perhaps somebody will be kind enough to slip one in your stocking. Thank you, my darling. I've split and pushed it up with mincemeat. It was disgusting. Sheer fiddle. It's not professional. So it comes to the very, very edge. Liquid. You have a little pot and you melt a, bit, melt, melt a bit of liquid glucose in it. Liquid glucose. Pull out to the length you want, allowing for expansion, because I'm going to cut you. And then you really have seen it from the cradle to the grave. Mine is the most crooked in Christendom. Keep it moist and shiny. Bye. <laughs> There's nothing more disappointing than coming to the edge and finding there's nothing there, huh? Yeah, I, this one is one that I didn't have to see, but I'm so glad I did. I am so glad that this was shown to me. I feel like I have met somebody new and, and just the important parts like, we, like we've been highlighting. Um, she, I mean, a smile on my face the whole time. The things she was saying were ridiculous. Yeah, I, I when I saw the original footage with, without my silly edits, my jaw was dropped the entire time because like the Christmas, Christmas, Christmas thing, every 30 seconds, she would say something explosively wrong. <laughs> Just real weird shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, when you when you when you shove it, when you cram it all down and then you reorder it, I take a very I take a very Brian, you know, eching tone to the way I once I boil it down. What do I do with it then? I will play a kind of deck shuffle with it and I will try certain combinations and see how edits will musically stack next to each other rhythmically. Um, sadly, it's video jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, not only do you do this, but you have a, a real job, is that correct? <laughs> I do have, I have a day job. Um, as much as Museum of Home Video is so essential to my being and like everybody in our team is very gung-ho about m making it a real thing. And it is a real thing. Um, you know, we all have to support ourselves while we're doing it. And our Patreon is one way we have uh, support. But uh, I also, my day job is for an organization called AGFA, which is American Genre Film Archive. So it's an organization that started as an offshoot of Alamo Drafthouse in the late 2000s, when it was originally all about a film print collection, which is still there in Austin, Texas. It's about 2,500 feature film prints. But um, in recent times, we had got a film scanner and our former film handler is now our head of restoration and is, a, is an absolute, um, whatever wizard metaphor you want to apply to it, Merlin or Mephisto or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, he, Sebastian Del Castillo does some incredible shit bringing old movies back to life. And um, so we do restoration. We have a Blu-ray label where we put out a lot of the movies that we're restoring. We have restoration services that we do for other labels like Arrow and Severin. Um, and then we also have a theatrical part so not only the movies do we restore need a home somewhere on screens but all of our other partners arrow severin vinegar syndrome shout factory 
they're not in the theater business, they're in the home video business. So because we have experience with theaters, we take care of all the theatrical bookings for them. And that's a very interesting uh, kind of niche business. I, I, I say yeah. niche because um, obviously theatrical distribution has uh, taken quite a hit in the last few years as people were yes. not allowed into movie theaters. But, but having all those different parts to AGFA actually uh, just means that you could focus on those parts because as we're talking about like this kind of television ephemera, right? There's mm -hmm. not only, uh, well, TV was filmed, TV is on all different formats of tapes and, and films are in all kinds of formats and different shapes. And in order for people to see it in the best case possible, I mean, and you, you would know this a little better, but from mine and Dan's experience, it feels like mm -hmm. now is the best time to digitally come in and start to restore some of these things because uh, the material, the original materials that they're on will continue to deteriorate. But the costs of distribution have kind of come mm -hmm. down to a more manageable, like it, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been like a million dollars to restore a movie, but now it's, right, you're laughing because it's a fraction, right? Yeah, well, there are some, I'm not going to get into it, but there are some top shelf restoration houses in yeah. Hollywood that charge too much money for what they're doing. Well, because yeah. the, the labor and, and expertise, you could do it for anyway. Right. I won't get into that. It's very controversial. No, but, but what, what sometimes that is, is it's part of like, you know, the equipment and the training and handling the materials, et cetera, et cetera. It's, mm -hmm. it, you know, we've hit a point where these machines uh, can be run, you know, they don't cost a ton of money anymore. And you can train people on the software that they don't, you know, they're not as expensive. And so that means that mm -hmm. uh, weirder or more, you know, off market material can be treated with the same respect as like, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, not the Casablanca, but, but something that would have been overlooked not that long ago. Totally. Yeah, the uh, film restoration technology is so good now that it is a time machine. You can reach out and touch time and space from a different era. How clear and how precise camera movements are when you suddenly restore the image. You don't even notice that. Yeah, it's the new era. And even the dumbest gut bucket horror movie is an incredible experience when you can see it in like 4K or something. I, like, I am, I'm getting to the edge where I'm starting to appreciate archival footage uh, before, right? It's, it's just something I was growing up around. My dad had laser discs. And then when laser discs weren't a thing anymore, he started this DVD collection in his closet. And it's just DVD after DVD after DVD. Anything I could want to watch, it was there. Uh, and so I, I never like growing up was searching for things but he obviously knew something I didn't which you know you get a copy of something before you lose it forever at least per that time period um and now like I'm getting to look back on these things and, and learn about film history at like I like to do things are crazy tv history is crazy and TV I history wish... is fucked up <laughs> yeah um yeah 
so I'm, I'm really thankful that there are people like you out there who are, are going out there, out of their way to try and find some of the crazy stuff, bring it back, bring attention back to it. Uh, because I, I think that losing it forever is a, a tragedy, especially like things like Doctor Who, that's the classic. Yeah, it's a real shame. Well, the results that are coming out now are objectively better than these things were when they were released because we now have equipment that you know like if it was first shot on like video or whatever we can um it, you know and, and like how much do you fix it right there's another argument but mm -hmm. you know i mean i'm not saying like make it on shot second or whatever but it's still like television that was shot on film right when you scan it in mm -hmm. at 4k like that was never meant to be seen at anything beyond ntsc so mm -hmm. now you have this new document that you know you're so much more is it's it's a different experience even that kind of footage back then was designed to be watched on a crt tube monitor which very right. few people have i actually heard from someone who's <clears throat> in the tape collecting community that suddenly there's like a shortage of crt monitors yes yeah t tell me about it i just had to get one as a production designer for a short film and oh. i had to go everywhere okay. looking for one that worked yeah that's so, quite amazing because it's like there were billions literal billions of them in the united states at one point <laughs> I, I have two very valuable uh progressive scan crt monitors from the 80s so there, you know mm. there's no scan lines in them uh, which were used for as computer monitors, right? But you can run a cable through them and now you can pull, you know, it's just, and now they're valuable because they don't exist, right? And and one of them smokes occasionally, but other than other than that, it, it works what, well. A pipe, a cigar, what, what is it? No, it like Matt? sparks. I know, it, I know. Oh, okay, yes. Do we have yeah. any questions from our listeners? Oh my gosh, we do. I'll, oh, oh, Kelsey, do you want to read them? Because I, I do have, I have them up. them up. Yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah, okay. So this is our first question. Dear Archive Guys, it's been 49 years since Wicked, Wicked debuted. When will Duo Vision finally catch on? This, is, this comes from Jesse K. Well, Jesse, I think you answered the question already. It's only been 49 years. Big Magic 50's coming up. Brett, have you ever shown anything in Duo Vision? No. Um, I, uh, I have a complicated relationship with split screens. I think they're uh, often too showy. You have to know what you're doing. You have to make it compelling to watch all the different fragments of the screen, not just one. And if I remember, Wicked Wicked is just kind of a tepid, average thriller that well, they try to, you know, jazz up a little bit with the split screen. It, it does have one of the most hilarious endings of any 70s slasher film. And it was directed by the guy that directed every single episode of Green Acres. And, and Joe McDotes. <laughs> and Joe McDotes, yes. Um, what... What is interesting about it is that, uh, you know, his vision for it was actually like two projectors, right? Yeah. Like side by side. And it was shot with two cameras. Or I mean, it wasn't obviously it was shot with two cameras because it's, it's, it's different sequences. But um, they uh, put the two images on one 
piece of film instead of distributing two pieces of film. But the in the original elements, they have the two separate pieces of film. So it would be possible to release a version of it with, you know, like somehow like on a Blu-ray by having the angle, you know, like you could zo hit that angle button that nobody ever uses. That's my answer. <laughs> All right, we got another question. Yes, okay. Our second question comes from Benji. Uh, do you agree that the practice of crop cropping four by three native old TV shows to fit a 16 by nine screen is the new pan and scan atrocity? Some of my fave old shows are only available to stream in this fashion, in HD no less. So the only way to enjoy HD is to watch it cropped. And this conundrum breaks my brain a little bit. Yes. It's the uh, new smoothing. <laughs> yeah, it's totally unnecessary. No one minds the black lines except for studio executives. It, yeah. It's, Dan, there's Dan no and need I, to crop ever. Is that a cat, Kelsey? Oh, no, that's your boyfriend. No, it is a cat. There is a cat and Calvin. They, they both appeared. <laughs> how, did, how do they feel about uh, aspect ratios? Are we just abnormal in that we hate it? Who, the cats? Yeah, the cat. How does the cat feel? Pippi, he hates it. Yeah, he hates it too. I'm gonna to do a hard left segue into, um, it's a good thing that we edit down some of this ancient material because some of it is not for today. Um, <laughs> like you would be utterly floored about the amount of blackface from semi-modern things that I edit out. I like to leave in just enough to give the viewer the flavor of, oh, that's in there. I can't ignore that, but not wallowing in it, which it means removing 90% of it. And that's often a lot of a, of a certain item. It, it's a pretty, it's an interesting and kind of controversial concept that comes up over and over again. Like, do, do you edit or exclude, uh, you know, home entertainment items uh, based on, you know, past and current uh, sensibilities. Uh, I, I personally fall on the contextual warning side. I, I hope that people will understand in the way that it's presented and, and but, un, but unfortunately, it's a tough call, but. Uh, well, what, what I like to say in front of screenings, because there's been this long years long debate about trigger warnings and what mm -hmm. you say. Um, yeah. Do you say anything? If right. you say something, how do you say it? My new, uh, just like zippity version is um, what you're about to see. This entire movie is from the 70s, all of it. And as such, they accepted a lot of things as normal that we don't watch it with that lens. Yeah. <laughs> and no, walk that's, off stage. Right. You're at least making people aware that you're aware and they should be aware. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Kelsey, do you have anything you want to talk about before we go? You've been PAing, yeah, or uh, or no, PDing. PDing. I I have oh, been production designing um, for a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of like AFI films that are gonna be hitting film festivals soon. I've done, and then a music video that's coming out called uh, "Bugs Are Us." Ooh. I will eventually have a link to that. And there's some new cryptocurrency that's coming out in tandem with this music video. So bug, that'll bug be based? fine. Is it about yeah. bugs? 
it's yeah inter internet bugs yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh brett you got anything you want to tell people to do oh, like i guess this is the time to tell this is the time to tell people about um, patreon.com slash museum of home video. So uh, I've done, as of this week, I've done 90 episodes of my weekly show. And when you add up all that, plus all the other shows on the channel that you can have access to the entire archives of, if you subscribe to our Patreon, that is hundreds and hundreds of hours of killer shit that will actually entertain you. You know, there's this whole thing when you have Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever that you'll spend the whole evening scrolling and you won't watch anything. Well, this is like anything you land on is going to give you a good feeling just because of the specific way we've engineered all the edits and the way we host the shows, and our presentation. And um, I, I, yeah, there's a, so good. Oh, no, I was just going to say I can attest that uh, going through your back catalog is, is lots of fun because uh, I miss a lot of the live shows so that's uh, mostly how i consume mm -hmm. them now and no. even going to your page and reading the levels of donation i don't even know how to what to call those the tiers that you have those are hilarious yeah. mm -hmm. I, I actually enjoy thank just you. reading the descriptions so oh, thank you so that's yeah. that's well, worth I mean, like a dollar right <laughs> um one big piece that you could see behind the patreon wall that we didn't talk about i'd love to get your take on it if you watched it was the ernie anderson mega mix um ernie anderson is one of my favorite voice i oh you know i love yes. all facets of showbiz so i love tv tropes and i love voiceover people and i i i i'm a I, I guess I never went into voiceovers myself because I never really wanted the competition of trying to do something like that but I love fetishizing all the classic voiceover guys and Ernie Anderson is one of the best he he is I mean I watched that one just from you will know this voice the that was the that was the my description take. for it yeah um and I I enjoyed the cut a lot Matt I'll let you speak before well, I do I, no you can please it, it's just it's 24 minutes of that guy right and yeah. you recognize his voice and just like your other stuff you put it you put it back together and then you know then you're talking like uh ernie anderson uh <laughs> pretty much about like at least a 20 15 to 20 seconds into it and then uh it burns in your yeah. brain uh other yeah. people have have you know pointed that out with uh you know don de la fontaine or you know like like those mm -hmm. the the in a world right that one's kind of they even made a movie about that yeah. but this is the guy who you may not have heard of, but you've certainly heard his voice just as much, yeah. if not more. For about 20 years, he was the voice of ABC. Sunday night at nine, we're going to get a pizza, get real fucked up tonight. <laughs> the love boat, you know, that, that guy. Uh, so I have a fascination with him. My next voiceover tribute piece is going to be about Percy Rodriguez, who you will know if you watch yeah. any horror or movie trailers from a certain era. He talks like yeah. this. Uh, imagine the trailer right. for Life Force from the yeah. director of Poltergeist comes a startling new vision in terror. <laughs> Toby Hooper's Life Force. You know, like right. that guy. Toby Hooper. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you I did. just love that guy. <laughs> That's what's kind of fun about those guys is that they're so distinctive, but you generally don't know who they are, right? No, no not at all. Turns out he is a respected canadian shakespearean like longtime actor but all we know percy rodriguez from is that voice when he's 
or like it's the the some stupid 90s comedy like barbie cartel monkey triple you know you could just picture it <laughs> i would have if, if he um he probably uh where do they uh, in ontario i think it's like london ontario they have their uh shakespeare theater if if the Canadians had all the voiceover guys doing Shakespeare in in like the round or whatever, I would definitely go to that. Totally. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> voiceover I, Shakespeare. I am just as influenced by radio growing mm -hmm. up as I was by TV and film and music. So there's a lot of radio stuff that creeps into my style, especially the way I host. Mm -hmm. um, bizarrely, Gene Shepard is a big influence on me. Joe Frank. Harry Shearer, a lot of the, a lot of the like sardonic radio people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm <laughs> more influenced by Joe Franklin personally. Oh yes. We got a Joe Franklin. Oldie. I got a sheet music. All right. Uh, <laughs> that, that is an exciting way to wrap up our show. Uh, Thank you for your listening. I am Matt Patterson. I'm on mute. I'm Kelsey Milburn. DW Ferranti. And our special guest, Brett Berg. Goodbye.